back. Welcome back. Welcome back, guys. <laughs> to our uh, followers and uh, crafters and uh, people who just like watching movies and drinking some beers and talking some music and just being there. Uh, thank you for joining us today on our 113th episode. Lucky We're 13. doing... Guess what we're doing? Who Framed I mean, Roger Rabbit? Look at our backgrounds. Yeah, Who <laughs> Framed Roger Rabbit, 35th anniversary retrospective. Yep. Um, yep. I think we always go back to this, but, you know, there's basically a notepad that we had where Serge and I would write potential um, episodes that we wanted to do and make. And I feel like this was probably one of the first ones that I think we wrote down. Um, because we were so excited we to like talk about it and kind of just like introduce people that didn't know about this movie, what this movie's kind of about, and we thought none other than the 35th anniversary to fucking kind of go in on it and talk about a lot of the things that went on in that movie, how it was um, just a revolutionary kind of movie. It was also um, a, a feature-length movie that had special effects the whole way through. You know, no matter how minimal they were in some parts, but it took a lot of work to get this movie made. And I think Robert Zemeckis did a fucking fantastic job yep. on making this movie. And uh, it's one of my favorite Disney movies of all fucking time. And I feel like one of the reasons of that is because of the era that it's in. It's like the 1920s, right? Yeah, 1940s. 1940s. It's after the war. So it's after yeah. the World War and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. We get... I, yeah. Go ahead. I really do like this era. And, I mean, despite it being a world where, like, cartoons and humans exist, like, they really set up, like, the 1940s right. And I just, I don't know. It was so well lived that I just wanted to go there, you know? I wanted to go to that bar that Eddie went to. That he goes to constantly. Well, it's not that one. That one's no. That one's. Oh, you're the, talking uh, about the dueling piano bar. Yeah, 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 that one. That one I like, and it's like across the street from like the red cards and and all that. So I was like, oh man, like, I mean, it, it feels. It definitely feels like a studio lot, but I mean, it it's definitely like something that's just like so believable, and I think that's why I like this movie because you know, you don't just go back in the past. You're also like integrating those two worlds and i really like it it's like yay yeah. um i mean my thing for me was just as a kid was how well everything worked it made yeah. it seem believable like i was like yeah. how, do, like how the, are those puppets how are they doing that like i was just like yeah. what are they doing that? and on some of the shots they actually did use a roger rabbit kind of puppet thing for um yeah you know, it was like a rubber it was it was like a rubber stand-in yeah. Just for them to like use as reference and so, they actually I mean, interacted with that. <laughs> this is probably one of the first movies that they started doing stuff like that too. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. I feel like Walt Disney in around I around the actual 1940s was um, testing and kind of implementing um, this compos com uh, composing these shots mm. of lay multi layered scenes with cartoons in them and layered animation on top i think the first one that he did was alice, alice through the looking glass and then from there he that was like one of the first experiments and then that 
paved the way for you know Mary Poppins and and uh, things of that nature, bed knobs and broomsticks. Uh, right. You know, yeah, movies so there like was, that. Yeah. So there was like live action and animation interaction before that, but not as much as this one. This one like took an extra step and just used physical, you know. Uh, items like guns, you know, yeah. cartoons holding guns, and this is what it was in my back. This is what it is in my background. You know, it's like oh. one of the weasels holding the gun. I mean, right here in stuff. my background, you can see there's actual glasses being, you know, tossed right. around and mixed. So yeah. they didn't really, yeah, they didn't really have to do that, but they just wanted to take that extra step to like make it believable, and not just like physical, um, not just like physical interaction as. Uh, that wasn't like the only impressive thing, but also like the lighting, like the shading of like the cartoons. Ever t whenever they went into like a different lighting environment, that affected like their animation as well. Yeah. So that was the extra step as well as of uh, of just like going there, and you know it, they they did a lot. They did a lot that you know they could have just like not do it, but they just you know why to do it because of course it was a very ambitious project you know especially with uh robert shermeckis at the time you know, i mean like he just he just did back to the future and romance with the stone they did know, a lot of different up. things on this um movie but before we get into everything including know, someone actually going crazy in the cast like physically <laughs> like actually going crazy uh, we'll talk about that later on but before we get into anything what we do like to do on golden craft cast is we like to pair a beer with whatever we're talking about today we're happen to be talking about movies so let's uh let's introduce our beers and kind of how they relate to to the movie that we're talking about today i know serge has got a good one why don't you go first bro yeah so i got this one because it was more of a film noir type of situation and of course the legs in the beginning of the movie <laughs> we have like the mom's legs that are only shown there so I thought about this, but you know, it's uh, it's from Paperback. I think it's from Paperback. Paperback Brewing Company. Yeah. Yeah. What's that guy doing? Is she stepping on that guy? Is that guy dead or something? That guy's dead, bro. Is he? Look at that. He's oh, like wow. on the bathtub, and then she's like, "Well, I guess I got that's the job uh, done. definitely fitting <laughs> because of the uh, contents yeah. of the movie. Who mm -hmm. framed Roger Rabbit? It's all Who about a murder. Roger so Rabbit. there you go. Yeah." basically um i got this beer which was actually a gift from my other brother adrian um this is the trader joe's 2022 vintage spiced ale um it's not technically an anniversary but i think they actually brewed this because it was like their anniversary um of making beers or something like that let's see what it says here right limited edition this belgian style spice ale is crafted once a year as a special treat for those of you who appreciate flavorful bottle of con uh, bottle conditioned ales with character our vintage spice ales rich dark and full-bodied ale with fine generous coffee colored beige foam it's ready to enjoy right away you may also wish to sell her a few bottles it will evolve interestingly well developing more complex flavors as the years go by keep the bottle upright in storage brewed with a delicate balance of noble hops roasted malt spices this is remarkably smooth um, ale with wonderfully complex finish. It is best served slightly chilled around 53 degrees Fahrenheit and pairs exceptionally well with grilled salmon steaks, curried lamb, beef, or tuna au balre. I don't know how to fucking pronounce that. But this is the fancy bottle that my brother got me for Christmas. And I thought, oh, you know, I finished my finals. 
I got a good grade. And, uh, you know, we're finally jumping back into Roger Rabbit and the podcast after me coming back from Mexico. So it's fucking awesome, you know. Uh, So I thought I'd pop it open. And uh, did you say anything on the back search? No, but I noticed something in the front. It says, she was the life and death of the party. Oh, God. (laughs) Cheers. Craft. Cheers. Fuck. Usually you would hear the glasses clank on there, but you know. We ran out of space. Mm. Wow. I'm glad I picked this beer because it's very. This is actually made by Unibrew. Um, Unibrew? The same company that does. Fin du Moon. Fin du Monde. Um, and other other uh tailed ales um what do you get in search tripled um it's a little weedy definitely fresh i mean i had this in the fridge for a while uh since yesterday um yeah right at the top is like a little weedy and a little bit sweet towards the end it's uh very refreshing i like this one I think Breland would like this one. It's a blonde nail. Yeah. Uh, mine mm. is very interesting. It's got notes of clove, mm. notes of cinnamon. Um, it's also got a very pungent Belgian style within it. So it's got the smooth. I mean, just look at the foam on here. It's like very fine, you know, so you have a very... Um, creamy almost on the top kind of flavor yeah i also get the flavor of like wine um grapes in there for some reason um maybe like almost like barley wineish. um yeah. it's more weedy than hoppy i would say but there definitely is some hops scattered in the mix right there what they are i'm not too sure but um yeah this is definitely one that i gotta wrap my head around a little bit more so we'll check in later we'll check in yeah we'll do a beer check later all right let's jump into it man let's give it give us some uh give us some rough background on who framed roger rabbit all right so who framed roger rabbit is actually based on a book Except it's not called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They call Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Huh. And Disney bought it right, bought the rights right away as soon as that book got published. And it took them years for like for it to get made. Uh, at first, it was like close, uh, closely. It was like faithful to the source material, which like, which I am gonna warn you that the source material is a little darker, but. It's almost like similar. It's still like in the same veins as like um, a film noir. Uh, of course, none of the IP characters <laughs> like Bugs Bunny or like Mickey Mouse were in it. Um, but I mean, like I said, like the, it got bought off by Disney, and they had like they had the rights for it for like the longest time. And at the time, they did have a who who distributed this uh, Touchstone. Which is a company owned by Disney, but it's 
uh, I think they had more films that were more like a little bit more mature, a little right. bit more like uh, you know adult oriented and stuff. So they thought it would be appropriate to do that because, of course, this movie does have a couple naughty words, little innuendos and stuff. Oh, there's definitely innuendos. Um, yeah, I mean, aside <laughs> from that, you kind of just see the uh, push for more an industrialized world, which is what you were kind of getting in the 1940s. Um, mm-hmm. Industrial Revolution, right? Uh, all that stuff I was think popping off. I think that's like a, the turn of the century. I think it was like way off. But yeah, this is uh, still, I think from the source material, I think is like post-war, around that post-war era and stuff, which is appropriate because a lot of film noirs, which this movie is, took place exactly around the like the post-war. Yeah. I feel that's so, part of the reason why you get these detectives get that. that are always like, having flashbacks or like kind of like or they're always alcoholics depression mode you know yeah they're alcoholics they just go for the bottle whenever they're feeling a little that's not my day which is really <laughs> you know kind of yeah what america did, did yeah and it definitely fills the bill like he um bob hopskin i think i'm saying he's right uh, yeah. mr super mario himself <laughs> r.i.p all right rest in peace uh he in this movie, he was asked to do a lot. Like, he played the serious man, but he also did a lot of physical comedy. And also just, uh, he's actually British. I think he's British. Yeah. And he had- uh, I mean, before, he mostly um, did gangster British, like, British gangster movies. Oh, shit. Okay, um, that makes sense. And uh, he was the, the owner of, in uh, Jet Li's One, he was the owner of Jet Li because he treated Jet Li like a dog. And he was, like, his fighting dog. He was a slave master? Yeah, it was crazy, (laughs) man. But he, like, I did not like him in that movie at all. He was a dick. (laughs) He was, like, manipulative and, like, just an asshole. And he played him so well. So, I mean, I get it. I get why he was mostly put in those roles. But I feel for this movie, it was kind of just, like, one, a big change of pace because he's acting with, like, cartoons which aren't even there. He had to act with guns. He had to act with practically tennis balls and stuff like that just random shit that you would never usually act with you know yeah um, exactly so it was new and this was all think. on film i believe right yeah this was, it was. filmed yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it was the 80s so they didn't start doing digital until like the mid 2000s so on forward down to do it on film it's crazy yeah, uh, and I mean, I mean they basically wanna... uh, superimposed, like, all these different drawings. And like yeah. you said, you have all the Disney characters. You have some uh, WB characters. You get Daffy Duck. Um, you get, you know, Bugs Bunny. Betty Boop, yeah. I think, is in there at some you also, point. Yeah, you also, yeah, you also uh, talk about it. You also get, like, um, property that's owned by, like, NGM and stuff. And um, let just say this off the bat, living in this time now with a bunch of ips overwhelming us this movie will never get made ever again with all those characters screaming at the same time oh yeah now everyone no, i mean this like, was kind of a everyone would just fight one of a like, kind movie licensing. for its time it wasn't like that this normally doesn't happen this is like uh the avengers in cartoons you know what yeah. i'm saying like bringing all the yeah. different licenses together to make this happen was probably a big feat for robert zemeckis for sure um yeah definitely but just also, all in uh, all just... uh kind of steering away from just kind of the world that it was in 
um, the plot of it is that, you know, the detective, um, Bob Hoskins' character, is basically a detective, and he's mourning the loss of his brother, who uh, was killed by a toon. So he has a disdain for cartoons and the toon world in general. And uh, he's approached... By the wife of a very prestigious actor in the uh, cartoon world, which is Roger Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit is his girl and basically comes to Hoskins' character and asks him for help to figure out, you know, about a murder that Roger is being framed for. Yeah. So well, it starts off, It's if you think about it, it's like one setup to another because it starts off with... Uh, He's basically a PI, so the studios asked him to like investigate uh, Jessica Rabbit, and she's basically they caught her, they caught her playing patty, uh, patty cakes, and upon learning that uh, Roger Rabbit, he pretty much gets mad, and then the following day, someone gets mur- uh, the guy she was with gets murdered, and then they pin it on Rog- on Roger Rabbit upon learning that shit, yeah. and then now. They have then now Roger Rabbit has to go back to Eddie, and they have to figure out like oh who f- actually framed Roger Rabbit and stuff. And there's a lot of conspiracies and turns along the way that uh, definitely plays like the film noir. I mean, um, trope. I haven't seen this movie by now. You know, you definitely got to watch this movie because we, yeah, we are gonna be talking kind of in depth about you know characters and the plots and stuff like that that. just so you know if you haven't seen this movie this is probably (laughs) the part of the podcast you want to pause it and listen to it afterwards because now we're going in depth um about some characters i think it would be appropriate you know yeah definitely if anything so uh you want to talk about some characters search who do you got who do you want to talk about first Mm, i mean right off the beginning with roger uh, definitely an interesting thing that uh, when I was watching the making of Roger Rabbit, he is not only just like this wacky character, but he's a character that's actually like shows emotion. I mean, very like overbearing and very like over exaggerated. But you know, he does have. It's like a. It's almost like realize, his feelings are realized. You know, he's he just like. Um, he just found out like his wife is like cheating on him in a way and then he just cries and then he gets mad he starts to turn into a fucking psycho in front of eddie and stuff so it's like yeah this is something that is like very character driven and it's funny and he's funny when he's funny and he's sad when he's sad oh yeah he's very deep in his emotions but i mean you know i mean not only that of i feel like the pressure of him being a tune and then being a star of all the tunes, like people know him, yeah. you know, like um, he's like I said, he's kind of like a celebrity there. And, uh, you know, you get to see like all the characters he dabbles with. And I feel like some of the I mean, the best parts of the movie are are parts where Rogers interacting with the different characters and the different scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I got a specific scene in mind that we'll talk about later, but I want to go ahead and jump into another character, um, which is Marvin Acme, which has ended up, he ended up being the one that got murdered. Um, yeah, there you go. So Marvin Acme, he's more, he's really like a happy-go-lucky. He's the owner of Acme Cartoons. 
he is a entrepreneur he is the big guy in charge but he also has a very very playful side to him which is like uh you know like he's he plays pranks you know he has like a flower that squirts water doesn't really take anything seriously he's kind of like a happy-go-lucky guy he almost acts like a cartoon himself which is you know you can tell because you know he loves cartoons so much that's kind of the persona he took on you know? Yeah, he's he's definitely like a big producer conglomerate type of person that's very passionate about like what he's the head of. And you could totally see that, but also he has like his dark side, you know. So it's kind of speaking on like all oh, producers like, oh, they're uh, they're socialized, but also, you know, they have shit going on, you know, especially with him being involved with Jessica Rabbit and his whole thing with the will that he has. And having to be in bed with like um, big companies, which is uh, what's the name of that company? The one that bought the red cards. It's forgetting. It's giving Acme. Yeah. No, it's not Acne. because that basically they wanted to buy them out. But uh, the point of the whale was like, oh, if you're able to get the whale, you can't get like Acne, the company and stuff. So. Um, that's there another is, thing there about is this a movie. big legal jargon yeah. in there there's a lot of that shit in there that's that's also a thing like they're all it, this movie is not just about like cartoons and all that but it's also about hollywood itself you know yeah like just it's like on some le- on a legal tip you know yeah like big conglomerates just buying each other out and stuff and buying land and stuff and uh definitely uh, definitely not to like um to movies like chinatown because that whole thing was like the whole conspiracy behind it was because they wanted to buy more land or wanted to buy like the water and stuff. And yeah, this is they're definitely playing on like a lot of threats of like the uh, movies of that time of the 1940s and stuff. Just like oh, pretty cool. Well, not and, only that, it was like also it was kind of I guess in a way talking about you know the uh, the industry kind of just expanding across because it was hollywood it's hollywood so it's california you know like the the freeway first being built and stuff like that in california so there is some historic value to this movie believe it or not they're actually talking about the creation of the freeway of the five freeway that was the whole uh, point our good guy well i guess bad guy uh judge doom played by christopher lloyd is a undercover tune that is uh (laughs) fronting the expansion of this new project called the freeway and yeah. uh, i think we got a clip here uh, am i playing it <laughs> can't hear it but oh i was gonna play because i have the clip <laughs> who's got time to wonder what happened to some ridiculous talking mice when you're driving by at 75 miles an hour what are you talking about there's no road past toontown not yet Several months ago, I had the good providence to stumble upon this plan of the city councils. A construction plan of epic proportions. We are calling it a freeway. Freeway? What the hell's a freeway? Hey. <laughs> what the hell is a freeway? What the hell's a freeway? I'm still what asking myself that question. <laughs> it's like... Uh, he really is like... A politician that's like very shady and stuff because he's telling you what it's gonna happen also in a very villainy way but 
Also, he's kind of fucking us over because, of course, if you do live in L.A., they don't help. The freeways are a big thing, and also you get into traffic jams. Well, I mean, proposing. Yeah, you get <laughs> into traffic jams. You get into traffic accidents. You get into traffic in general. You know, traffic jams. It's the crazy part because back the in the day, this was seen as like the newest thing that could come around. And even in the '80s, it was still like you know a big thing. I feel like and four lanes was big enough back then you know like or i think yeah i think no it's uh, not (laughs) the five has like three lanes or something like that but even there now they're still trying to expand it to this day um but i mean that's what christopher lloyd's character is bent on he's just like this undercover tune that's fronting all this stuff to the you don't know he's a tune yeah where he does (laughs) some very uh mean things to cartoon shoes which we'll talk about later and it's very psych it's very psychotic. Very it's like, psychotic oh uh, scene you, in general. Yeah. I feel like, um, and yeah, and he's a murderer. You, you want to know something? It makes sense that he wants to create the freeways, not because it's a loony idea, but just him being a psycho about it. Like, here's the thing: I research. I like true crime. Uh, they say one of the reasons why, like, serial killers were on the rise, like during like. 60s 70s and 80s because like, the creation of the freeways yeah exactly you see so it just makes all that much sense to you know kind of connect those dots because really it was just like that transportation that accessibility that just made it easy for people just to like, travel not just like tourists but also like deranged killers that just you know uh, and i mean that's the whole thing about <laughs> this movie is it shows you like uh, a scene where they drive into Toon, Toontown and it's like a bunch yeah. of tunes. It's all happy and go lucky and everything like that. You can just imagine so nice. <laughs> what a freeway would do to a place like this. It's like detrimental, you know? Um, yeah. But, okay, let's talk about some more characters about here. Let's talk about, uh, why don't you talk about Jessica Rabbit? Jessica Rabbit. Let's just say she's like the femme, femme fatale. I don't know how to say it. Femme fatale. Femme fatale, which means... Deadly, she's an evil bitch. <laughs> she's the deadly chick. She's the um, trope in film noirs where you can't really trust her, but yet her seduction and her um, charm like seduces the main character, and she has like her own little agendas, which she does serve that, but to a point where it's like she was doing it for the good, and then now she has to like, whoa, look at that. Canada Drive. Sponsored by Canada Drive. You want ginger ale? <laughs> Try Canada's um, coast. <laughs> ginger ale. Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Sounds good uh, though. It sounds like it sounds like a movie brand yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. She does kind of play but, that character that you don't know if you could trust her or not. You don't know if she's part of the She's a bad guy. She's a good guy. Obviously, her playing patty cake is a big fucking downer to Roger, you know. But yeah. <laughs> uh, all in all, you know, like she's she said, uh, what did she say to him? She's like, it was just patty cake or I don't know, something like that. It's funny because uh, when they show the photos of her, it's like literally like a stop An motion animation. animation of them yeah. playing patty cake, which I thought was fucking brilliant, you know. Yeah, it's um, just like those little nods here and there. Yeah, it's you know? just like little things like that where it's just it's cartoony the way they present these uh, the evidence and stuff like that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously Jessica Rabbit, it's crazy because at first um, Bob Hoskins did not know 
what Jessica Rabbit was going to look like at the end of the production. He was just like, he was shown a picture and it was nothing close to what he was uh, imagining. So it's pretty crazy that in the last moments of the film coming out, they kind of decided on this voluptuous um, character that is very reminiscent of like sexy anime, you know, characters and stuff like that almost, you know? Because just the way that yeah. she's drawn, she, like one of her, th- one of the quotes she says, she's like, "I'm not bad." Wait, wait, wait. I'm not you got bad. It? I'm just drawn that way. There you go. See. There you go. So yeah. I mean, that just goes <laughs> to show, like, she's well aware of you know her her ability to seduce and you know kind of be that character that is in the mix and can pop out at any point and change the whole dynamic of the storyline. Yeah, you know? I mean, she had to be a human character, you know, because it's funny that you say, like, he didn't know what she looked like. Like, even in the beginning of the movie, he was expecting a rabbit. But as soon as she came out of the curtains, he was just like in awe, like, just like, whoa, you know, because I mean, yeah, they could have drawn a sexy rabbit, uh, Lola Bunny. But doing a human is just like, oh, it's it's not that weird. You know, it's not that weird. And um, speaking of that, uh, in the original um, source material, Jessica Rabbit uh, is actually, she's actually like a star for like a, uh, how would I call it? I don't, uh, I don't know if our American viewers are familiar with it, but in Mexico, they did have like, they do have like uh, very promiscuous, very like sexualized, like little books and animation that uh, they basically, I think they call it like a Tijuana Bible or Mexican uh-huh. Bible. And basically it's like very like sexualized, very like misogynistic portrayal of women. And she was actually the star of like one of the, these like little uh, magazines or the little uh, fucking booklets. Yeah. Um, I, I was familiar with that very young because they had this thing called Los Vaqueros and it was just like a Western um, animated uh, comic and they have very sexualized characters oh sexualized women and stuff but yeah she was like one of the uh, stars of one of those type of uh, very over sexualized books and stuff and I and that I guess that was like the drawn inspiration for like her being like the human um I'm not too sure if she really was a rabbit or if she was like humanoid, but no, I think she the was, drawn, this her original just... drawing was actually human. Yeah. Right. I, okay. I saw it um, earlier today. I'll try to see if I could find it at some point. Yeah. But um, one of the actually crazy things about um, the scene where she comes out and sings, I guess we'll talk this later on scenes, but uh, there's some, there's some interesting information there that we'll go over later we talk about our top scenes because i think that's definitely going to fall in there Mm -hmm. uh let's talk about another character one more character and i think we can move on or characters i want to talk about is kind of the henchmen the weasels right the weasels the weasels are a big part of this movie they're kind of like the gangsters in the striped suits the slick guys the shadows the fucking tommy gun wielding mother crazy (laughs) motherfuckers uh they're the sopranos if you will of this movie (laughs) and uh they basically are the henchmen trying to uh 
Well, I think they're the ones putting all the framing into position and like doing all the stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, basically. They're weasels, um, people. They're, they're just, weasels. That's what they are. It's, that's it's crazy. Character. Yeah, it's crazy because they're just like, oh, some of them look like gangsters, but there's some that are like goofy. very goofy or like fucking mentally unstable. <laughs> yeah, and I mean. It's like, it, is, it doesn't are. make sense, but it's funny, you know, and it's just like, that's the fucking, that's the tomb control. Like, that's. Oh my god! But um, they're all voiced by the same guy. They're all voiced by the same actor that d- does um, the voice for Roger Rabbit himself. Uh, in fact, he did a multiple voice voices for this movie. But he does most of the voice. All, I think all the voices for the weasels in a way. Yeah, I think is uh, are we done with the characters? There's more characters, but we'll talk about them kind of later on. I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. you know who we got to talk about? Benny. The taxi. Benny. We're forgetting a couple. Yeah, but... there's a lot of there, but I mean, Benny's one of the main guys. He's basically like the valiant steed of the story, if anything. Uh, he's Roger Rabbit's. Like they know each other, and he basically becomes like the driver for, um, you know, the whole the entire mission. Force. You know, and he has all kinds kind of, of toony stuff involved with them, so they're able to dip and dive and dodge with. Uh, also voiced by Fraser. Yeah, by the same guy. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, Benny's definitely one of the ones we got to take care of. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the most important. <laughs> Bob Hoskins, Eddie Valiant. Bob Hoskins, definitely Valiant. the protagonist of this story, and um, not usually a protagonist. So it's kind of cool how he was able to come into this movie and not play play the anti-hero almost you know he was yeah. kind of like uh the depressed loner guy he had this uh trauma his guy. brother getting yeah. killed he had nothing to do with teens but because you know the going's kind of tough he's got to take up any job he can right so he ends yeah, up taking basically. this this case and uh he's not very happy about it but he grows to um kind of i don't want to say respect roger but I, I would say definitely understand it, him. Yeah. It, yeah, I think it was an attachment towards yeah. him and everything. But, I mean, if you, like, really early on in the movie, uh, you do get, like, a sense of, like, his past. Obviously, we know what happened to his brother. But he he used to be, like, a funny guy. You know, yeah. like, a very animated guy and stuff. And you can definitely see it. But, it you chipper. know, that kind of... Yeah, he that definitely pays off, especially... At, how he shows like that side of him like towards the end and that side of him basically saves like roger in a way yeah, so it's like yeah so it's like you know it's a it's a characterization that's like very important like early on and he just you know he, he it seems like he used to be very tight with the cartoons you know because yeah he does he does know betty uh he does know like yosemite sam because yeah I, think from the gun and stuff they both like guns and stuff like that yeah <laughs> let's so. take a quick pause real quick i gotta use all right for sure so yeah that's uh basically detective eddie valiant's character um what are the characters you got in here anymore uh, dolores prominent ones who dolores dolores <laughs> oh yeah dolores yeah. played by yeah. uh joanna cassidy uh, Dolores is basically a waitress in one of the local diners that is friends with Eddie. Which is bar, yeah. Almost Which, like a yeah. love interest, maybe. 
Yeah, it seems like they've been friends forever, but it's like, oh, I mean, there's something, something between them, but I guess Eddie's just like so deep in his uh, depression that he never really like did anything with that. But Dolores is just still, you know, okay. clinging on and just hoping something would happen with between them. Well, not only but, that is like yeah. you could tell that she's kind of willing to help him. Uh, with his case as well, you know, so yeah. you kind of see oh, yeah. she's, she's like, loyal to him, you know? Yeah, in a way, she's, like, um, coming back to her, like, um, whenever she can. I mean, in the beginning, she basically gives her, like, a camera, yeah. you know? And he, she basically, well, he owes her money as well, so it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been through that. It's like, oh, when you owe people money and stuff well, i think and then she sees that he's getting back into work you know because mm -hmm. he's been out of work so long because of you know the whole situation with his brother it kind of just like she kind of knows his background and his history better yeah. than anyone i want to say like she's kind of the one that yeah exactly he yeah. would confide he confided in and stuff like that you kind of get that sense from their interactions um but yeah definitely an important character because she's also like a Jessica Rabbit kind of character in the sense that when she comes in, like the storyline shifts, you know, um, and it kind of changes. You get more information because it really is like, like you said, like a noir kind of film where you get tidbits of information as you're watching the movie. You get more and more, and the plot thickens. You know, like you get the right. thickening of the plot, and uh, I feel like Zemeckis did that so well, bro. Like. He took pieces of, you know, noir stuff and he kind of um, put it into like his brain machine, his chat GPT <laughs> and regurgitated something that included like cartoons and everything like within the mix and yeah. mixing these funny references. Well, I mean, like obviously, you know, his brother dying was a traumatic moment, but the way it happened was a piano fell on his head. You know, yeah. so it's like it's it's like those calls it's of it's funny the yeah. comedy and the cartooniness are are literal parts of his pain and his agony and you know part of his uh, coping you know after after all this happens is he's going to du dueling piano bars he's going to places that you know he's kind of surrounding himself with tunes now even though he doesn't necessarily like them as much anymore because of that yeah. whole situation yeah because of that whole situation so. Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to the film noir and just, uh, like, I think Robert Zemeckis knew that going along. And, you know, he's a, he's a prominent filmmaker at that time, you know. And it's, I really like his camera movements, like, even, like, with this movie or, like, movies from Back to the Future and stuff. Because uh, one of the things I like is just, like, how he was able to... Uh, pretty much tell a story within like one take um there's a part where he basically he moves it from where eddie's beginning to drink and then the camera just moves uh towards like all the pictures all the information that's needed yeah you know this this is this is there used to be like a good person within eddie and as soon as you go back where eddie was at it's mm -hmm. already morning so time has already passed and stuff so it's like oh it's a hard road to de detect with this whole past. And he did that with just one fucking take. 
and i think not only that but um i mean that like it's very well thought out like you said like all the evidence of everything that you see is kind of there you see the kind of the newspaper i think there's a piece of a newspaper you see you see a picture of him and his brother yeah kind of joking around you know and it's like you said it's all done in one shot and um i mean that kind of lays out the story and i didn't really understand that until i was older i mean as a kid you kind of watch it and you're kind of like just taking it as what it is um you know and you know once you start putting the pieces together of everything that's when you start realizing like oh shit like something actually did happen to his family member and it was um the fault of a cartoon yeah uh, later on in the movie you find out who that cartoon is mm-hmm. so that's that's what's pretty dope is not only at the end of the movie do you see you know uh justice for what's going on with the whole marvin acme situation but you also see justice within his own life right. and his own case that he was he needed to solve and his maybe that's part of the reason yeah. that he has uh the depression and trauma that he has in his characters because he's not able to figure out who it was and yeah he's the so detective it haunts yeah and it haunts him because it was just like i feel like his brother was like i think he believes that he was the better guy in the valiant and valiant um not firm but the investigations so he i don't think he ever like felt like he was good enough so that's why he kept taking like you know uh lowbrow jobs and stuff and you know he's down on his luck and and everything because you know that other half of him is just like pretty much gone you know but and i mean uh i mean just uh kind of comparing dead. that to you know real life situation you know what that could do to somebody yeah. you know it's just like um not only just losing a brother but losing a person that you're very closely tied with you know in your vocation of making money doing you know detective work and stuff and then having to turn around and go and work for the people that potentially killed your brother. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And I feel like that's what the movie does. Well, is kind of, um, show not only just the, and, and I feel like, uh, Bob Hoskins actually does a really good job of showing and acting like he, he doesn't really want to do it, but he's doing it anyways. You yeah, know? he's reluctant to it. And, you know, and that's one of the things that I think I remember journey. and I take back the most from this movie was just like, this guy doesn't even want to do his job. And I don't even, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and I didn't know until like later on why it was, you know, but uh, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, especially in that time and age when you just don't have, you know, all the resources are a lot more minimal than what they would be now, you know? Yeah, exactly. If anything. But... I mean, I think one of the things uh, got deep into characterization. characterization. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I think we should go on to is like the making of or the, you know, the mechanics of what went down uh, making to this movie because they did a lot of weird things just to make this movie. And a lot of it is just like, you know, doing thinking outside the box and stuff. I mean, obviously I have a picture of like, you know, the rubber doll being a stand-in for like, you know, an animated character that's not even there. And then him holding the fucking gun and stuff as a physical uh, interaction with, you know, the 
um, not real life, but the live action portion of it all. Because they did a lot. Because, I mean, everything from, like, um, Roger spitting out water, that was, like, a machine that actually, like, squirted out fucking water and stuff. Or, you know, whenever they just, like, uh, throwing a character into something, like, there was, like, some type of uh, thing that they pretty much push or th- things that just like made um it was like a pump it was like uh yeah. you know yeah or you it, know it was practical things that were just like that yeah everything was just practical everything was physically physical everything was practical um i think the most impressive one was like um roger going through the fucking window and you have like the shape of his body <laughs> Oh, I love that part. And it just, like, popped out. And it's just like, fuck, like, how do they do that? Because, you know, that's real. And it's just like, oh, it's real and it's funny. You know, because in the cartoon uh, world, they would do that. But they did that in a real-life action world. And this stuff. is, so just um, like, okay, I'm going to, I have um, on Google, I already looked up Who Framed Roger Rabbit behind the scenes. So I'm kind of just going to. I'm going to switch to web mode, web share mode, and I'm going to kind of show you guys some of the things. Serge, I know you can't see it, but um, mm. I'll explain. I'll explain right now. Okay. All right. So uh, one of the one of the crazy parts in the movie was the scene where um, Roger, there's a scratch on the record and he's doing like a whole thing because they're playing like this record no and he has like a thing no and pain. he has he's like no smashing pain. plates no on his head and no the pain. plates are real plates, you yeah. know, so... What they did was they made this robot that mechanical. could actually yeah. <laughs> like this mechanical robot looking thing that its only job was to pick up plates and smash it on like a pole where his head is supposed to be. Oh, so this is only purpose. they literally reminds- made this yeah. like it almost looks like sw- short circuit kind of like a robot <laughs> yeah. of just like a stick figure robot that its only job was to go and grab plates and smash it. Yeah, it reminds me of yeah, it reminds me of like uh, Rick and Morty, where he has like l- this little machine that only serves butter, and then he just says like, "What is my purpose?" It's like spread the butter. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it just got depressed. Yeah, because that's his only purpose in life is just to do that. Fuck it. <laughs> so uh, check this out. Except so uh, this is yeah. a picture right here on the right of um, our lead, the detective. Mm-hmm driving in what looks like some kind of go-kart that he's driving like with a little like mini, a fucking steering yeah. wheel and that's actually what they used uh as a For taxi Benny. so this fool was driving this fucking like actual go-kart thing and what they did was they put the taxi over it so i think this is yeah. it looks like it's run by fucking like gas or propane it's not even like uh it doesn't look like it has a gas tank at all it's kind of weird you know um but yeah there's like a bunch so. of other stuff, other other scenes in here in the background that you can see if if you're watching yeah. the YouTube video. But I think the um, the robot was very interesting to me when I was a kid. I was like, "What the fuck? They built that just what? to smash plates on its head for that scene? <laughs> like that's I pretty remember dope, seeing that too. You know, that was pretty interesting yeah. to me as a kid, like seeing that behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a lot of bunch of inventions they had to do to just like make that shit believable you know it's again outside the box it's like okay what is he gonna do he's gonna smash plates on his head how do we do that I mean we yeah. could build something like that and then just smash the plate and whatever like it smashes its head on 
like that's where like the composition begins yeah just like at that point really and i mean and just yeah, yeah he he really did take those points i think one of the hardest things to do in the movie actually was the scene in the very beginning where it's literally a cartoon you're watching a cartoon and then all of a sudden you see the camera it kind of zooms out and you see like a cartoon set and you see yeah. a cartoon world inside of a real production studio <laughs> so you have an IRL production studio with cameraman cameras mics the whole bit and you have a whole scene that's created with you know super composition and yeah. literally ink and fucking pen like cartoons it's fucking awesome and the way the camera kind of turns out everything's in perspective everything's there everything's online everything looks like it belongs there there's no um like how can i put it like it's it's very seamless you know yeah how everything's blended together you know and i feel that was one of the biggest challenges of this movie but it was also the thing that made this movie great and sold it you know yeah, it was just exactly. uh, that interaction between all these different cartoon characters and the real life shit you know yeah yeah it's just like integrating because at that point you know that uh that's when the world separate or the world is like revealed like oh um the way cartoons are made is actually the same way we do hollywood films you know and it takes you out of it just to establish like oh this is the world we're living in the animated and the real life action world is like they're, they're co-aligned and stuff like even like as soon as you see the um the fridge fall on top of them like you see that's real so you know part of that this uh dissolution it's already coming off and then when it is revealed it's just like oh okay so it really establishes that point because it's because you already know like though it's about a cartoon but you know it's much more than that and it, it's a really i really like it because it's just really um not just establishes but really like sets off the tone of this movie and stuff because um, the cartoon elements continue on after that whole animated sequence one of the things i kind of want to touch back on and you mentioned earlier was <clears throat> yeah the shading of the characters um mm -hmm. and the shadows involved with it so i feel like this too like i think they did this with star wars as well if i'm not wrong but this was the first process of them adding shading layers right and making the cartoons look more dimensional once they were out of the cartoon set you could see the uh shadows in roger's pants to make it look like they're rounded you know little stuff like that i mean even in my background you could kind of see like shadows on the guy's head so like on the octopus's head because you know there was no light there so there's a lot of different things that they took account of when putting in the characters because you have the animators that are just like okay i need you to make an octopus that's slanging some drinks around you know and it's going to be real cups and real shit and he's slanging it around and then but now you have the other person that's going in there's okay now i need you to make this octopus look like it's actually there you know so right. they they have like a whole nother layer of just literally just shadow 
within the cartoon to make that shit look like it belongs there, which now I, I appreciate and I respect a lot of that stuff because this was mostly done without computers. It was done mostly with CGI and like I said, practical effects. So they were drawing a lot of this stuff over yeah. and shooting these scenes again, one by one, you know, Fucking yeah, awesome. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's the animation is still impressive to this day, which I would say it's it holds up. It's way better than fucking Space Jam. You know, Space Jam again, another live action animation interaction, but this one this one has more details into it with the animation, the uh live action aspect to it and stuff. That, because... But the way they like interact <clears throat> The way the humans interact with real things and the way the cartoons interact with real things are very, it's like the same, right? I mean, it's like, you see the cartoon handling something that's physical, there's no shaking, there's no like uh, glitches or, you know, it's everything's fucking on point, which really fucking sold a lot of this movie, I feel like, because it's, it's so well made in the fact that this hybrid, it, this was it, you know? And Robert Zemeckis yeah. probably did his fucking homework as far as, you know, uh, seeing other movies that had used similar, um, you know, composition, uh, composing and composition of layers on top of each other. But this shit is a whole other fucking level, man. This it's is bananas. like multiple things happening at once, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's really true filmmaking at its best really um speaking of that so do you want to tell us who actually went crazy during set on set (laughs) so this is a uh a little tidbit i guess we'll say about um mr bob hoskins so at the time um there was very little training and very little help for people that were acting with you know cgi act acting basically like they weren't used to um acting with actors that weren't there uh obviously right in the 80s you know even if you had a you know sci-fi character or something that was not real quote-unquote you would still have a representation, either a puppet or someone in a suit or something like that. Well, this was way different because now, you know, the structures of these cartoons are not like people. So you can't just pop a person into the scene and expect them to fully act out like a cartoon would act. You know, you have stretch and squash features on animation, which is basically like uh, in cartoons, you know, the, uh, you know, Tom hits Jerry over the head with a pan. The head squashes and goes flat. Stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? It's a stretch and squash feature. When they jump off a building, you might see the legs go first. They stretch the whole body. All of a sudden, they squash down to their original size. That's what I mean by stretch and squash. And they couldn't do puppets. They couldn't do people. So Bob Hoskins basically had to act with weird fucking representations whether it be a rubber doll or like a stick or like a fucking nothing at all or robot you know he had to basically (laughs) imagine that there was cartoons in the scene well guess what 
if you start imagining that there's cartoons in this scene for several months of filming, he actually started getting hallucinations uh, afterwards. And during filming, I believe, where he he saw a weasel in a lady's cap. She was wearing like a hat or something, like a sun hat. <laughs> and he saw the weasel walking around on her on her headdress. So he's like, whoa, like, what the hell is going on? So uh, that was probably the very me. beginning. And I wonder if actors after Bob Hoskins actually got... yes. That, this is one of the flaws of CGI, especially one of the biggest CGI movies that um, I don't personally like. But the um, the Hobbit trilogy, um, so I think it just has to do fall of like um, of the production because they had to act fast, and then uh, what was meant to be more physical actually just they just covered up with CGI. So like. Um, they basically had uh, Ian McKellen, who plays Gandalf, just basically interact with himself or interact things that weren't even there. And at one point, he just like started getting depressed and he started like getting crazy. And he just had a lot of psychological problems at that point because he just wasn't like interacting with like someone on set, like what he did in Lord of the Rings. And I just like feel really bad that he had to go through that and you know it wasn't even his fault he was just like oh okay I'm coming back for this character but him having to come back as Gandalf was like it was cool but also very challenging because again like it was a lot of sequences that weren't unnecessary that he just went on and just did them he just like um, was talking to someone like in a blue or green screen or whatever habit and then he's just like okay and hours on end especially with those type of movies like it was a lot of hours going into it and being this character but you know not really having that same interaction as he did with like the previous films and stuff so it's just like uh that's probably one of the most problematic um productions uh, i mean overall and just um I mean, it was well, obviously a great piece of fucking, you know, work <laughs> after everybody saw it. And I, we all yeah. appreciate the sacrifices and the fucking craziness these actors put themselves through to be able to get the results that we see. I mean, like I said, this was the very forefront of this was probably like premature CGI, basically. Um, yeah, it was them doing like uh interactions with characters that weren't there is what they're still doing today and mm -hmm. um now i feel like they're getting a lot better about making actual models you know and stranger things i feel like they actually did make a suit for the demogorgon and stuff like that for the actors to to better react to everything yeah. um but and we also yeah and we also have like the volume from like um the mandalorian because exactly you get to see now you get to see around everything around you yeah so it's definitely say that one more time. The, the, say that one more time. What? What you just said before when I was talking. Oh, I mean, I said especially with the volume in the Mandalorian because you have like a interactive and just uh, imagery that you could actually see what it's actually going to look like as opposed to a green screen and have to pretend like oh go over here or go over there and yeah. pretend like you're off the cliff where you could actually see the fucking cliff or see like what's there. 
yeah in real life time and stuff so i mean i think it's important because now it's helping actors having like um getting more than just a reference you're getting like the real thing you're mm -hmm. getting like the image that you're supposed to see and maybe i feel like the change that happened was because of situations like bob hoskins and you know ian mckellen yeah yeah you know and it makes sense because <laughs> long enough if you start imagining things you probably will start fucking imagining things and that's an obvious oh result of that yeah. kind of scary man because if you think like there's a little if you start like let's just say for a second you start believing there's a little green man on your shoulder telling you and being your uh guidance your uh honorary what's it called jiminy cricket oh conscience, your, uh, conscience. yeah you start believing that all of a sudden, you look in the mirror, you're going to fucking see a little green thing on your shoulder. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the level that they imagine to. And to, I mean, that is acting. You believe so much that you physically fucking start seeing these things. Like, yeah. that's a lot of dedication on that part. And I got to say, like, is... cheers to Hoskins for that shit. Because <laughs> yeah. that shit's fucking real, man. I, I would I not think... be able to, to do something like so... that that long. And... For knowing yeah. that it's driving me crazy, knowing that I'm actually going insane and still being able to finish the movie. Fucking Jesus. Yeah. You know? I know. It's, it's just crazy. If anything, like, I always consider actors to be, like, the most craziest people. Yeah. Because, first of all, again, they have to use their imagination. But also, like, if they're rehearsing, they're basically talking to themselves. Yeah. And it's just over and over again. And then having to, like, okay really get into the moment completely changed it to a completely different persona if right. anything and i'm just like yeah that in itself is super crazy but it's also an art form it's a craft if you will yeah cheers to that cheers, yeah, to cheers to that cheers to that cheers, cheers i wish i had that clinging ding it was cool earlier somehow i made the drink so the octopus hand was in it Oh, I should have done that. It's just like mixing it in like know. that. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's kind of... All right. Well, I guess that kind of covers most of the CGI stuff of it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on the behind the scenes, but you could tell like it's hand-drawn, you know, frame by frame, diligently made yeah. animation from beginning to end. Like yeah. there is Even no fuck ups in this shit and i i could just there imagine today what the 4k version of this movie would look like i feel like you could almost be able to see the hairs on you know roger rabbit <laughs> right? like you know what i'm saying i'm joking around but you know what i'm saying like yeah. i think the details would be like a little bit they'll be out there it'll definitely be more out well there i mean stuff, but it's like this is kind of technical but if you know about you know film and stuff like that you could tell that there's film grain right Right. And they went to the length of making sure that that film grain was layered on to the characters as well. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah. you can tell. You can tell. Like, trust yeah, me, yeah, when yeah. you look back at that shit, you can tell. Like, there's film grain along the whole fucking the whole scene, compositing itself, making yeah. it one. And that's the whole art about compositing. And that's why I love compositing and and. Uh, the art of it because like even on obs like as you see right now like you know we have the edges of the bricks we have stuff like that but i mean to animate it and to make everything that's physical work with something that's fake is fucking 
that that's what I it really amazes me. And uh, you know, I got to give it up to the artists and stuff that worked on this yeah. to give us such Especially... a fucking movie that that is dope. Because yeah, man, th- this this movie for me really changed what cartoons were. Yeah, you know I mean? it was a mas- yeah, it was a milestone for animation as well, you know, cuz they brought like the best of the best as they said. It's it's in the bonus uh behind the scenes feature and stuff. And I mean, of course, they had to have like a its own director for the animation segment and all that. So I mean, you're really combining like two things at once, but also you also get one guy that's you know the helm of it all, which you know Semekis was do, um, the head of everything at that time and stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, it's it's a milestone for a reason because they're um, using references and using inspiration from like past animations and stuff. Because um, one thing I actually got to bring up that was one of the things that they did experimentally in the animation was and I told you guys I was going to come back to this was Jessica Rabbit's uh, singing scene when she comes out and sings in the club and stuff like that right well you know all the shimmers on her dress you know Um, those shimmers they got and layered them within her dress like and I feel like they did over 300 something they did a large fucking number let's just put it that way and when you look at the scene you'll know what i'm talking about but all the little sparkles in her dress they layered that shit on top of each other like over and over and over again to get the final result there's like a bunch of different layers actually in that scene where she's singing because they wanted to make her dress react um like a real dress right even though it was a cartoon dress you know what yeah. I'm saying? So like stuff like that where they're using the physical light to interact with the animated character is, you know, that takes a lot of fucking planning, man. That yeah, takes really a lot does. of planning. Now I'm wondering, like, who did they what did they do for a stand in for Jessica Rabbit in that scene? Let's find out. Jessica yeah. Rabbit stand in. Who is Betsy Brantley, the Jessica Rabbit's mysterious stand-in? This is from I'mNotBad.com. I don't know how <laughs> I seen that website. Yeah, accurate this shit is, but uh, you know, you have the website I'mNotBad.com. Uh, Sunday, September twentieth, twenty fifteen. Jesus. Okay, so check this out. Betsy Brantley, Jessica Rabbit's mysterious stand-in. She actually looks like the uh, therapist from Sopranos. Kind of weird. (laughs) The task of bringing Jessica Rabbit to life was not an easy one. Animers went through several different design variations before they hit upon the final look that ended up on screen. It also took more than one woman to fill her shoes with speaking lines, singing, and stand-in. So Jessica Rabbit is one of the, I want to say full-length animated characters that had multiple actors step in to uh, encompass her and and make her real. Uh, Check this out. So Kathleen Turner and the singing voice from the Ink and Paint Club beautifully 
crooned by Amy Irving. There's little about the actress who stood in place for Jessica during rehearsals, scene preparations, Betsy Brantley. Let's find out more about who she is and how she created Jessica. All right, so check this out. The life of a stand-in might not seem to be an exciting one. There are what their title states, stand-in, for an actress, actress purchase, for lighting, scene blocking, dialogue delivery, their work does not end up on screen, so they do not receive any praise for what they do. In actuality, they play an important part to the filmmaking process as all the components needed for the scene is what they help to build. From the complex to the most minimal, they stand in place of the actor, so the director crew know what they have to precisely set up before calling in the stars of the show. So there's a couple. Let me do web share real quick. Right. There's a couple yeah, pictures no, no, right no, here <laughs> of them with her. I think this is her right here in the corner. And then uh, some scenes of actually Rod, Roger Rabbit's character interacting uh, with some of the, it looks like producers or executives and stuff like that. She's standing right next to him. Crazy thing is, and this is a tidbit too, if, if you haven't watched the video and you're looking at the, uh, or listening to the podcast, is the actor that did Roger Rabbit, Charles Fleischer? Fleischer. Fleischer? Yeah. He actually would come on. He was very dedicated. So he would come on set and do the voice and do the lines for actors to react with. He would literally step in a fucking Roger Rabbit suit and come on set just to like make it happen. I was about to make it believable. I was about to choose like that shot of him uh, from my background. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just literally just him. Just, I mean, it's fucking cool. Like, it's funny. I th- like if it. there's any time to wear a fucking <laughs> rabbit suit and act, that is the fucking time to do it. It's during yeah. filming this movie because, like, you you can just tell the result that they got out of you know being so fun and kind of. Uh, invoking all these characters and making them fucking real for all the other actors because obviously this is like like i said it was rare that they've done this they've done this before you know so it was dope it was dope to to be able to see that process dope dope should we go into our our top two top two got a button no i don't (laughs) all right why don't you tell them what top two is Top two. So I'm gonna choose the top two scenes of the overall f- movie, and I guess we uh, both of us choose our top two. Our yeah, top two scenes, and then we'll also do like mentionables. Oh, I also got Modelo too, but I won't drink that till later. Hey, so hey. yeah, top two favorite scenes. Woo. Okay. Manny? Uh, <laughs> let's start with the scene that traumatized me. For my entire life. Uh, I think so we know out. what scene that is. <laughs> yeah. You know what scene that is, Serge? Yeah. You don't know what scene that was? I know what scene. Is what do you think? Intro- is it the introduction to the dip? Yes. <laughs> Every, everybody that Every watched time. that movie as a kid. You know, you this can't fucking be a- scarred you for life. You can't be... If you want to be a memorable animated movie... There has to be one traumatizing scene. 
It's always got to be Smarmy Pies. You're not wrong, bro. <laughs> you're not wrong. Lion King, <laughs> right? The Fall. Lion King, exactly. I was thinking oh about that. Oh, my fucking God. Beauty and the Beast. The whole, it's the fall. It's the, the fall. It's when he's about to fucking strike him down. He's about to fall off the thing. And then before he dies, like, if you see, if you pause, you can see a skull in his eye, in his iris, just before you, like, <laughs> they fuck with you, bro. Oh my god, dude! What have we been the, watching all our lives? It's not just Disney. It's just like you know, movies like yeah. The but I got, I gotta toaster. be honest though. This scene specifically was very straightforward with their shit. <laughs> they were like, it was very Mature brutal. So shit, the bro. scene is uh, Christopher Lloyd's character, Judge Doom, is introducing this new chemical that can disintegrate tunes. It's called dip, he fig- and it's this he figured oozy out, green. Yeah, he figured out a way to kill tunes. Yeah, because it was established that tools are hard to kill, but he figured out how to like kill them. Yeah, so that's that's one of the plot points. Is you know you could drop an axe on them, you could drop a piano on them, you could blow them up, but they still come back. But dip is the only thing that can permanently kill a tune. So to exploit. And, well, not exploit, but to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Execute. To execute. Know. Well, no, to to uh, he's showing like a tutorial. He's showing like a fucking oh, a demonstration. Yes, to demonstrate. It's a what demo. dip does. Uh-huh. This fucking guy pulls out a shoe that's a cartoon, and it's a squeaky a shoe. He didn't even do eyes and a nose and a mouth. Okay, it's very it's a personified shoe. It's a shoe (laughs) with feelings. You can tell that it is a living, breathing cartoon shoe. (laughs) Basically, this dude takes the shoe and goes to the dip barrel and starts slowly dropping it in. And you just see this thing getting tortured right in front of your child eyes. I, th- <laughs> I think the scariest part is the fact that the red tip on that shoe literally like dissolves in the acid. You see colors go yeah. into the acid. You see the fucking <laughs> literally like I think all that's left is like a fucking shoelace or something like that. Something like stupid, but it's literally Bro, like when he dips it and it just like starts screaming like very close to uh, that thing that they pull out of the the plant, the like the plant that they pull out in Harry Potter. Yeah, you know, very similar to that. Just imagine it's that kind of sound peach. with a cartoon being dropped into an acid that disintegrates yeah. it. Well, I think I think what made it scary, especially after this is the thing I noticed this time around, is the fact that the coloring is in his glove and the fact that it's red makes it seem like it's blood. Right. It's so fucking dark. <laughs> it's super dark and it's super fucking like Really? Like you guys really had yeah. to do all that? Like you couldn't have just like squirted it out of character and you just and see, then like, it a just big p- hole in them. I mean, regardless, I feel like the whole idea of dip is that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be traumatizing. You want yeah, to traumatize the audience a little bit. 
I think yeah, even the adults to this day watching that shit, you're probably like, what the fuck is going on right here? You yeah. know? And, yeah, the, I think anyone who's watched that movie as a kid remembers that shit so vividly. Just like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and he didn't even do anything. It was just like demonstrating like, oh, my first volunteer. <laughs> volunteer what? <laughs> Volunteer to die. That's what it was. Oh, Short pee break. Right. Short pee break. Break, 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 break. Yeah, that was the traumatizing fucking scene that I never want to see again in my whole entire life unless I watch the movie again. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really does set in the the whole movie like this is why this, is, this movie is important. This is why, you know, it's important that we go about what we're doing because we're stopping the dip you know yeah there's there's definitely stakes in them and everyone fears it like the dip um actually i have a couple questions if everyone does every cartoon know about the dip at this point because it seems like as soon as um jessica sees the dip she does that reaction it was best reaction it's ever dip. it's that's a uh, scary reaction from a tune Hands down, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would. You know what? I gotta say that I feel like people that are in the loop of kind of the the of what's going on. Obviously, she does know what's going on because you know. Yeah, feel, she's in on it. Yeah. She, well, not in on it, but maybe she's heard rumors about it. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, right. you know, Acme knew about it as well i think right it's yeah it's become like their own little boogeyman that's been in the shadows and then now that she sees it it's like oh shit it's real yeah it's a real thing and then like uh <laughs> like i said it was it's a very fucking well you know acted out scene by the jessica rabbit voiceover and i guess stand in to do that because she literally fucking shrieks at the top of her lungs, like you, like when you know when you, okay, when I say it's dip, and I say like Jessica Rabbit's voice, you can hear it in your head. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've seen the movie, yeah, you could hear that you. in your head. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how detrimental this shit was, and it made it very prevalent to the audience that you don't want to fuck around with this. You know, definitely um, not. And like I said, I feel like only maybe the top elite or people that are kind of in the background know what's going on with the freeway know about dip. Because when you start seeing uh, at the end of the movie, kind of going through uh, when Toontown comes in and they see the dip, they're like, what? what is this? Like, what the fuck? They're all kind of questioning it because they don't really know what's going on. But the heroes, yeah. you know, and our protagonists in the movie, they're obviously fighting it, you know? uh yeah great fucking scene uh of, of scene. that movie yeah, i feel like one scene. of the most well thought out and hybrid cartoon real scenes of torture you know what i'm saying <laughs> something you like, didn't want to see it's like yeah uh, that's what comes to your head when it comes to well because i mean like i mean like <laughs> I'm robot chick, to you robot I'm chicken has done torture you know Right. Uh, Family Guy has done torture. 
uh, I want to say even Toy Story has done I'll get to- back. torture. Yeah. I'll get back on torture and animation later on, but that'll be on that. Okay, all right. Video. That'll be a little bonus <laughs> feature. Wait right for there. This. We'll wait for that one. Uh, go yeah. ahead and, and do your, one of your top scenes, bro. Okay. Um, so one of my top scenes would have to be when the Tomb Patrol, the weasels, they go into Eddie's um, uh, office and without them knowing, uh, Roger Rabbit is there. Um, just that whole scene establishes a lot of things. Uh, with the weasels and what they're about and also like a lot of like physical interactions that's going on and the mechanical um, behind the scenes that's going uh, that's behind that shit good shit Um, like I yeah like I said like you know Roger does spit out real water when he comes out of the freaking um, sink and stuff and then of course one of the weasels get they get kicked and then they hit the blinds and then, you know, the blinds are actually physically being hit by something and stuff. So it's just like a lot of things are going on and it gets pretty crazy. But most importantly, it does establish, which I think the the script does really well to set up was, oh, don't you know what happens if you laugh? You're going to laugh yourself to death. That's right. It is a good scene to set up. I got it. Stop that laughing! You know what happens when you can't stop me laughing. One of these days you're gonna die laughing. One of these days you're gonna die. <laughs> you know what? Um, it... <laughs> Laughter in the yeah. background. Like, great way to sell it. Uh, exactly. It's just. You know what? At, <laughs> when you first hear that you're just like that's fucking funny you know like he's gonna yeah. die laughing that's good but then you actually see it you know that becomes the major weapon at the end of the movie is laughter yeah cause it does come back so fast one of these days you idiots are gonna laugh yourselves to death he does say you that again. you're right you're right so I mean there's laughter going Ding. on in the background there's fucking I mean, he's straight up warning them. I like you guys yeah. are going to fucking die if you keep laughing like this. It's a yeah, it's a clue too because it's a foreshadowing. And even yeah. like when it's they, a foreboding he, of you know what the yeah. fuck's gonna happen when he does. Yeah, and it and they even cue you in on that because as soon like as he says that, you go to like a um, medium close up on Eddie, and yeah. he's just like. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you get in the cube. Remember that. Right. Remember that. You remember yeah. that. And then, you know, that becomes like what saves them and yeah. stuff. And of course, we established that Eddie used to be a funny guy. So he uses that to his advantage. And of course, that basically saves Roger Rabbit in the end. But yeah, just like that whole setup, the Weasel's introduction, setting up like what their demise is, and then just like, yeah. It's well, super tight. Let me kind of let me kind of trail back a little bit and talk about you know that scene um, that establishes a lot when uh, the weasels break into Eddie's house and kind of start uh, breaking it like they just fucking start searching the place you know yeah. no regard for Eddie's shit and uh, the way they get away with Roger being because at this point I believe they're handcuffed together right. He could have just done it the whole time. So, <laughs> they handcuffed together. 
and basically uh the weasels barge in and they come up with the plan like what the fuck are we gonna do blah, 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 in a second and uh eddie starts washing dishes and he's what he does is he like stuffs roger in the fucking pipes is what i'm assuming or in the water and just like holds him down he's there washing for his like clothes yeah a long amount of time and is basically just pretending like he's washing the dishes the whole time nonchalant just talking to them like uh what are you guys doing here blah 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 all right can you get the fuck out already basically kind of deal and uh after they leave he comes up out of the water and he's like oh my god i love you or so i think that's the scene where he kisses them or something like that but he basically like shows them his appreciation for saving them you know um but (laughs) Definitely that is also character. an important scene, not only because of la- the laughing part, but it also establishes trust between Eddie and Roger, right? Yeah. Wait, what do you th- what do you think he kind of didn't give him up? I feel like he didn't give him up because he saw he already kind of got a taste of what he might find <laughs> and how deep the the um case might actually go so i feel like him preserving him and not turning him into the weasels was kind of like okay well the weasels are here so obviously you know something is up you know in eddie's mind something's up if they're trying to find him first of all second of all you know even though roger was really getting on his nerves in in the first couple scenes where they meet um he's funny he's likable you know he wants i feel like at some scenes he wants to laugh at roger but just because of the mental anguish and everything that he's put through he just doesn't he just doesn't want to deal with it you know so i feel like uh him doing that and saving him is kind of like his acceptance towards the client his acceptance towards roger and him uh being framed for what he most likely didn't do because he knows Roger's a fucking goofball. He wouldn't do that, right? It's very apparent that this is yeah. not the type of uh, tune that is going to kill people. Now, that baby in the beginning, he looks <laughs> like he might be fucking down with it. Like, he's running a whole operation, that baby, you know? But uh, definitely not yes, Roger. Uh... He just seems like he's more about entertaining, more about uh, his yeah. life as an actor than getting behind some weird shit like that you know yeah i do agree that he kind of getting an attachment towards him because maybe he it kind of roger kind of reminded him of how he was before Mm -hmm. but also i think like a big motivation which i noticed this time around is uh he knows he was a big part of it and he was being played like they even said it like um when he meets with jessica later on where, oh, like, that whole patty cake and the whole investigation, you were meant to see that. So I think with Eddie being a hothead, I think that motivated him to, like, oh, I kind of want to know what's, like, behind this. So, you know, using Roger as a way or also as an attachment, um, he kind of wanted to see things through as it is and just see this whole mystery. And that investigating, uh, investigating, yeah, investigator part of him just wanted to see, like, oh, okay, what's really going on and stuff? You bring an interesting point because when I thought of you saying, like, Roger was a part of it that he wanted to bring in because he started, pick, 
like kind of picking his brain. I'm kind of just reiterating what you're saying. But I feel like a big part of it too, the reason he knows he has to have Roger on his side is because Roger has information about tunes that he doesn't. Like he knows tunes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, as much as Eddie would want, like probably knows that he doesn't know him like Roger knows tunes. You know, so he yeah, he's he wanted... very uh he's obviously more involved. That's his culture, his tunes. So he he needs somebody on his side, obviously the client that is going to help him differentiate, you know, what what their all ultimatum is as tunes, you know, if it's just fucking being funny, if it's going to have a drink, you know. Uh in the scene where we see um Jessica Rabbit and he's in the dueling piano cafe the whole time you could tell eddie's kind of uneasy because i think he's by himself at that point right yeah he does he's kind of uneasy he's kind of like uh, i don't know just, kind of shifty you know but I, second scene? <laughs> I bet if roger was there you know he kind of shift his attention towards roger and less of the club so you could kind of see it also eases him that Roger's there and involved and trying to make him laugh and just being a tune and just being a goofy yeah. guy because going after you know this big case like that it's uh kind of overwhelming that one he's doing it by himself two it's a major fucking producer of a whole world basically so there's yeah. a lot relying on Eddie's character in that moment so he saves Roger to kind of have a have something in his back pocket I feel like you know yeah yeah definitely use him as like a shield and stuff and yeah. as a way to get into that world that he like um not desperately but he just like voided for a long time and then he it's basically him just like uh coming back into it a little bit he just needs like someone to hold his hand in a way yeah in a way yeah uh yeah definitely my turn yeah for another scene <laughs> okay yeah Oh man, what of my ultimate, uh, like, dude, this was, I would rewind this scene back and forth and just like trying to make sense of, you know, what the hell is going on in here. And uh, it's the car chase scene. Uh, there's a scene where they're getting chased by the cops, they're getting chased by the weasels, <laughs> and everything's kind of coming all at them at once. They're driving Benny around, and... Uh, you know, there's animated scenes mixed with real life scenes. You see um, Benny point to a lever inside of his cabin. At one point, they turn <laughs> a corner into an alley. Cops behind them and weasels in front of them. They don't know how to get out. So uh, Benny points to inside of his dash. He says, pull this lever. And uh, you Stupid. see a hand come out of nowhere. <laughs> pull the lever. And then you see the whole taxi cab rise up and go over, you know, the cars. And the cars are classic cars, people. They're like 1930s, yeah. uh, late 1930s cars that are pristine. The whole fucking movie is filled with them. And that was, for me, one of the big uh, time setters as a kid, too, was seeing the old cars and knowing that this is an old movie because you see those old cars in there. So... Um, I mean, dude, you could just tell this shit. It's like filmed in definitely like L.A. or New York. Very heavy um, kind of litter and trash and stuff like that. And they they play with those 
uh, external materials within the scene too, which is really cool. Yeah. The scene where uh, you see the other car driving in the other direction towards the taxi, you see the weasels inside of the car. So they're filming the car not being driven by anybody to make sure that they can compose the weasels in the front seat, all three of them, you know, like driving yeah. the car laughing <laughs> to each other. You know what I'm saying? So it's like they had to figure out how to drive this car from the back seat. You know what I'm saying? Like that's those are the kinds of things that yeah. I'm putting together in my head that are that are like, uh, you know, you can't you can't replicate this shit. I mean, the scenes on the L.A. bridge of uh the taxi cab jumping on and all kinds of stuff like this was stuff that was and 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 this is the cool part was real cars were physically reacting to the taxi yes yeah you know what i'm saying so they made it seem like it was a car crash that wasn't really there in a way or avoiding like a crazy driver going through that shit even though they weren't really there fucking awesome man yeah, if you really think about it, like how this movie was, oh, nothing was physically there, and the way that the cars reacted, it's just like so believable. And he's just like, <laughs> um, hilarious. One of the coolest things I gotta say about that scene too was just, um, man, just the fucking the interaction between. Hoskins and Roger and Benny because there's technically three characters in that scene too. Yeah. So he's kind of interacting and talking to everybody like both of them at once and like you know like kind of just in the moment with both of these virtual fucking characters like what the fuck like dude no wonder he fucking drove himself crazy. This this movie like really pushed the actors to their limits as far as what they could imagine because I yeah I know at the end of the day they did not realize they probably did not even know the extent of which how good the animation would be and how well everything would, would interact with with each other you know they had yeah. to just look at physical cues and physical things to let them know okay this is when I say this line this is when I say this line because you don't have anybody to interact with and that's cool on uh Charles uh Leishers, Charles Fleischer. part, Roger Rabbit part, the actor yeah. that did Roger Rabbit because he really made them feel as if they were there. Yeah, Roger was there, which yeah, not a lot of. I feel like not nowadays. Other people are doing lines for people like that, you know. Like, yeah, exactly. I think the, it just happens all the time. By this point, um, speaking by the end of the day, this is a funny um, thought that I had. I wonder if, like, every time Hopkins would, like, drive away from set, uh, he would just go in his car thinking it's Betty. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> uh, good fucking oh, acid for that one. He's just like, yeah, I mean, and he just kept talking to him. It's like, oh, fuck. And then he just realized he was just scary, talking to bro. his own car. That's yeah. scary. That's scary to think about. <laughs> he drives home. He probably had a driver at that point. He's like, you know what? At this point, I can't fuck. At this point, I was talking to myself, thinking it was Benny. Uh, we might as well get an, uh, someone escort me, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good scenes in this movie. I'm probably going to do one more, but go ahead, Serge. Let's see what you we, got. We'll do, we'll do honorable mentions, if anything. Um, hmm. I mean, I think another scene I want to like really talk about was 
uh, oh, fuck. I feel I like guess... you were going to say the nightclub scene. No, I mean, I was thinking the nightclub scene, but I mean, we already talked that one. Yeah, but... But just... I mean, not in depth, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, what do you think is more Not important? in depth? I mean, oh, wait, I already mentioned that. The whole establishing shot with, like, Eddie having to um, uh, pretty much go through that with his uh, background story just in one shot. That was good. Oh, the one I, shot I, of I, doing everything? Yeah. I mean, I already, we already talked I about mean, that one. C- who was but... the cinematographer for this? I guess. Let me see. I'll search I'm not, actually I'm not sure, yeah, if anything. But I think, you know what? I think another big interaction scene is like towards the end when doom basically reveals himself like him being a cartoon and then the whole thing is just like it's 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 scary but it's also like very like it's very heightened i just came up on a crazy article right now actually what what is it um let me go into it i'm gonna do web share real quick all right, here we go. Okay. Um, this is called, well, this the name of this article is called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? A Crew of Thousands. That's who. I didn't know this. This is brand new right here. This is from theasc.com article slash who framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, dash, yeah. dash, dash in between. Uh, let's go. Who framed Roger Rabbit? A Crew of Thousands. That's who. Director of Photography, Dean... Cundy ASC details what it was like filming this revolutionary project in England. Wow, that's where it was. It wasn't New York or California at all. It was England. Wait, was it Pinewood Studios? Um, it doesn't say what studio it was in, but let me get into this. Maybe I could get it. See what's up. This is uh written by Georgie Turner. Director of Photography, Dean Cundley, ASC, details what it was like filming this revolutionary project in England and the difficulties it came with. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not an easy show to describe. Say that it combines live action with the cartoon animation while truthful doesn't begin to say what extent or with what what, what skill this has been accomplished. The basic idea isn't new. Max and Dave Fletcher did it with their own out of the Inkwell cartoons in the 1920s. So that was further back than I actually said. It was the 1920s. It wasn't the 1940s. Walt Disney put his cartoon creations into scenes with human actors in full color in the Three Caballeros. That's right. They did do the Three Caballeros. One of my favorite uh, Disney movies. Song of the South, Mary Poppins, Mm -hmm. and other well-loved shows. Song of the South is... R.I.P. to Splash Mountain. That's where it came from. Song yeah, of the South. R.I.P. Um, Don't watch that movie. And <laughs> other well-loved shows, Bed Knobs and Brute Six. Who can forget the great sequence in Anchors Away wherein Gene Kelly performed a dance routine with his fellow MGM stars, Hanna-Barbera's Tom and Jerry. More recently, some notable work in the areas has been done in television commercials. Yet, it will have to be admitted, these landmarks of filmic delight are almost primitive, technically speaking, alongside this collaborative effort of two entertainment giants, Disney and Lucasfilm. So, 
this is one of the movies that did establish the relationship between Disney and Lucasfilm because they were like, hey, we need help on special effects. Fucking who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. (laughs) Here to fall. What a weird word to use. There has been a definite demarcation between live action characters and cartoons. The human actors are real. The cartoon characters are strictly from fantasy land. In Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the audience must suspend its disbelief long enough to accept the idea that cartoon characters as real as Bob Hoskins and other flesh and blood co-performers. It's a comedy murder mystery chiller. Okay, it's going into other shit like that. But I would say this statement of who could dis- who could suspend their disbelief it's very easy to suspend your disbelief when you're watching this movie. I'm sorry, but yeah, <laughs> I'd like to be in that world. That shit looks dope. Uh, key member of the team and its director of photography, Dean Cuddly, Cuddly, ASC's tantalizing descriptions of Roger in various stages of production make the story of this film a fascinating one. It's a unique project, Cuddly understated. Technically, it's an English production. It was financed by Walt Disney, a British firm. Most of the principal photography was done in England with a predominantly English crew, many of whom worked on Lucasfilm projects such as Indiana Jones. It's about Hollywood in the 1940s, so we had to recreate Hollywood in England, even bringing in palm trees from Spain. That's fucking sick. We did Holy some shit. exteriors in LA and we did a lot of blue screen work in San Rafael. This was before green screen people, but the United States actually was a distant location for us. Cunley began preparation in England in August <sighs> of 1986, returned to the States for three weeks in November and went back before Christmas, remaining to do the British lion's share of the principal photography Two production units worked around the clock at Elstree Studio at the end of April 1986. What the fuck am I talking about? There was a three-week shoot of street action in downtown LA and more months of blue uh, blue screen effects photography at Lucasfilm and ILD. ILM, sorry. ILM. Uh, facility in NorCal. Altogether, Cundley was involved in Roger Rabbit for almost two years, people. Took up three years to make this film. Uh, let me just skim through this and find some cool parts. Uh, for the sake of time, let's go. <laughs> country. Okay, this is pretty cool. This is a direct statement from him. He says, "In this country, we have two groups of technicians: the electricians who set up and operate the lights, and the grips who handle the flags and nets for controlling the light, set up scaffoldings for elevating the camera and lighting equipment." and mount the camera in various places such as automobiles. In the English system, Cunley noted, there are no grips as such. They have a camera grip in charge of moving and taking care of the camera, but all the other jobs that the U.S. grip would do are spread out among the electricians and a group that they call riggers who work with the scaffolding pipe. Okay. Are we, seeing a, are we seeing a clear definition between the industry in England and the industry in California? Yeah, so the staffing system is... Um, they're sponsored by, Mov- 
over to like it's more minimalized. It's just to shorten that. It's minimalized because I think like with Americans crew like they have specific jobs but now like those specific jobs goes over to like someone that's like an electrician or a best buy a well, best boy or this something. is what Cunley actually had to say <laughs> about it afterwards he said Cunley learned is what Cunley learned is Cunley. it's highly efficient and this is yeah. his direct quote right here i think if you give more responsibility to people i mean yeah I, they they're able to make it. They don't really they don't really need to like extend down to like a specific job into it. When yeah. So he said, uh, just do "It's it, like, amazing what one. the riggers can do." For my next show, Roadhouse, we're building a set in a warehouse with no chance to mount catwalks above the set. That's crazy. As we could in the studio. I always knew about me. that. Actually, about the system. So I'm going to adapt the English pipe system of hanging lights. So I'm already taking advantage of some of the things i learned in england so you see these american riggers learning from other production specialists in london so it seems like there was a very um coercive team between the production people from england and also you know the united states so um that's i mean obviously a lot of production studios even then did that but to the lengths of doing this kind of movie it uh dude it it, it knocked it out of the park their their relationship was obviously fucking awesome for them yeah. to have the continuity that we see on screen yeah this is um I mean, we talked about it in the podcast before, but oh my uh, gosh, the production. This, yeah, I, I gotta say, I'm sorry, of, I'm gonna cut you off real quick. I really want to read the rest of this, but it's really long. But there's a lot <laughs> of of stuff in here that I want to talk about. That we're just gonna. I want to say we'll put the link of this we'll in the this. Uh, description, so you guys can check out the rest because this shit is fucking dope. I'll put yeah, this in the description. You can see it in the podcast description. You definitely see like there is a difference between American and British productions. We talked about this in the Aliens um, podcast episode mm -hmm. that we did like two years ago where James Cameron had to get used to the production of like um, of British. I don't know how else to say it because it was way different than what he is used to which is obviously American and stuff. So I mean, yeah, that differences. Like, I kind of always knew about that, but now, like, you saying it in details is just like, oh, okay, that's what it is and stuff. <laughs> Compared to us, they feel like they're more efficient in a way. I mean, that's just to say that. I mean, there's different methods of going about things. Well, what I'm kind of skimming through now on the sidelines is uh, a lot of things that have come. Yeah, go ahead. They had 70 millimeters mixed with 35 millimeter shots in some scenes, which makes really? sense because you could see some of the gain on some of the shots is a lot uh, bigger than you know some of it's, the other shots. It's more it, it it's more appealing than most, if anything. Um, but I but think that also, has to do more with uh, yeah. Sorry, I think that has to do more with like the exposure or you know more the aperture that they were using because there is like a minimalized aperture in every lens and yeah. that actually depends on like 
what that minimized level if it's like uh i don't know the technicalities but i guess if it goes much lower i think you can see a little bit more um grain but if it's much higher it's just like no i think i got that the other way around if it's much higher i think you could get get more of the grain this is a nice little tidbit i just read right now (laughs) uh, aside from the game uh i guess uh this guy said i learned to speak english as well as american cuddly said but they still use cockney rhyming slang a lot which can be confusing it was fun because hoskins is a cockney and a lot of the crew are either cockney or use the slang so it became a cultural experience learning and understanding when they were talking you know what's so funny despite um we did talk about uh, mary poppins being like one of those uh live action animation crossover hybrids and that movie gets a lot of criticism because um van dyke uh got criticized for using the cockney accent it was fucking terrible <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy because I'm just like, seeing the connection seen between Hoskins that. other films. He that's what he you could yeah I seen like, I seen that's yeah. why they got him for the gangster shit. Yeah, I seen he, him in other films. Yeah, I seen him on other films where he's actually using his native uh, accent, and yeah, it's like a, a bit Cockney. Let's just stuff. appreciate just like... the fact of how well he did the American <laughs> accent for a second, because yeah. I didn't I mean, even he's... know he spoke. He was an Englishman until I saw the behind yeah. the scenes. It's very surprising when you have like actors when you don't think they're British and then they could do American so well that you're just like, oh, uh, obviously also, he's American. I, like the girl from <laughs> Last of Us. You know? Wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bella Ramsey. Yeah, she didn't even seem like she was English. She was just like, she spoke American. I was like, she was Oh, I knew she was English because she was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I mean, you know, when you first see it. But whatever. Aside from the point. (laughs) You're Uh, like, oh. (laughs) Okay. Let's do some honorable mention scenes because there's a lot of them. But let's try to see what we can talk about. Did I even finish my scene? Wait, what? My, my My second scene. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you, I thought you had talked about it already. My bad. Yeah, I mean, but I didn't really ex- talk about it to extend like we did like the others. Like, goddamn. Um, yeah, it was the last scene with him uh, re- revealing himself to be like a tune. And that's actually interesting too because... Also creepy. The reveal, it's really creepy because like you get to compose cartoon eyes over his real eyes. And I think that's impressive too because it's just like it's almost like inverted as opposed to like having like a physical thing composed with like a cartoon is actually like a physical person composed with like the character you know, is a eyes. hybrid of both worlds. That's the gateway. I mean, we already established like what it is and then this one is just like so you get the hybrid I mean yeah this is a cartoon hiding as a real person which by the way we never saw who he was and even the cartoon said like oh I wonder who he was I think the biggest mis- that's the biggest mystery but at the same time it's not really that important I mean if you give all that power to the villain of like oh who was this guy who was this guy 
I think it brings a more of a significance of that character, but just by not revealing who he was, I think it just establishes like, oh, he's not a big deal, or it dem- diminishes him as a character in a way because, of course, villains are um, seen as big, but are actually little people with bitterness, remorse, or you know. The lack of like actual good morals, if anything, they're just like oh, they're scum, if anything. So I think just by not revealing who he was, just really establishes that character really well. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, that's kind of going back to what you said of like, yeah, the villains are somebody without morals. It's like, yeah, uh, obviously this guy didn't fucking have morals. He threw a baby shoe into dip. What a dick. But you also see his motivation is not, you know, uh, you know, revenge or remorse or anything. His motivation is money. It's industry. I also think it's hatred, too. It's expand. Yeah, it's also hatred. I think think, because this is where it polarizes between Eddie and him is that Eddie hates cartoons because a cartoon killed his brother. Right. I think him. He hates himself so much that he literally turned himself into a human to a point where he just wants to destroy Toontown for the fact of like what humans are freeway kind of deal. Like, so I think he was just like thinking on a human agenda because he's so much like has that hatred of Toons that he just wants to become human himself. Oh man, so it's like, yeah. So I think there's there a prejudice. A in, of, uh, there's a lot of prejudice and a, a lot, lot of big stuff to talk ideas. about in there with like real life and real people. <laughs> real we life won't touch that shit, like but that. you know, like they, <laughs> we know what that is. You know, we see that. Yeah, and obviously, you know, big it's almost like being tune is being a race. You know what I'm saying? It, it, no, it definitely is. And um, uh, I feel like this specific character i mean he looks very similar to a character from later raiders of the lost ark <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh Wait, which if one? you know what i'm talking about from uh raiders raiders yeah i know from raiders but which one in the beginning the one that wants the medallion it's been there throughout the whole time yeah. so uh wait um Remember the dude with the glasses, dude? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say That's that. That's kind of yeah, like he's... what his character looked like. If really? you think about it. Well, yeah, he had a long trench coat. You know coat. what? Yeah. And also th- with the glasses, because like um, when he talks about like the freeways, he's like, you lack, li- you lack vision. And then his glasses literally mm-hmm. like glare. And that's sort of like, oh, he's blind to his own ambition. That's what it meant to me. Dude, yeah. that's this is what we do on the podcast. We're not just about <laughs> we, beer. We, we get fucking in depth with that shit, okay? We discovered so, this shit. <laughs> yeah, so definitely like that's what I those are the things that I saw in common kind of with that, you know, and you're talking about uh ILM on this. So you see these uh repetition of char- like these types of characters, you know what I'm saying? And um Shit, man. That kind of just shifted the idea of this whole movie for me. There's a lot we could right? do. There is a lot <laughs> to go, and I feel like it touch it does touch down on racism, man. 
it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking on that, um, I was going to say the biggest difference between the source material and this movie is that they do go along the ways of like prejudice and racism in this. And there definitely is a lot of like prejudice in the context of like the book because they do treat them like as different people. Like there's actually a segregation in mm. between like the cartoons and the humans and stuff. And you kind of get a tinge of it here, but not all the way and stuff because probably course, a lot worse in the comic. It, it could have been, it could have, yeah, it could have been a, a different movie if anything. Um, yeah, this was maybe we need to see that movie because that shit is going to, you know, shock and awe people. And I think that's yeah. what, you want to know what the ending of this mo- of the book was as opposed to the movie? Yeah, let's get into that later though. Let's finish uh, our honorable <laughs> mentions. Um, oh okay, we'll save it. Um, other honorable mention. Oh, the whole dance sequence that Eddie does, like he rhymes at the end of it. Yeah, he like basically rhymes and is like, "Oh, like and he's stunning with words and then Jessica Rabbit's like, "Time, time." <laughs> And then, of course, he goes into like, oh, he said something with walls. And he's like, you got to say something. You're going to kick him in. A, and then Roger says yeah. nails. He's like, that doesn't rhyme with walls. But this does. And then he kicks him in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Poetic justice. Poetic justice. My Poetic friends. justice. That's what I'm talking about. man. I love that song. Um, <laughs> all right. Another honorable mention scene. Has to be. Shit, I had it. I had it. I had it. Uh. Oh, I know. I know. I don't know. It was the scene when, um, you sent like uh, they're driving in Benny, right? And then they crash. Something happens, like, uh, and Benny oh. gets all fucking shattered, right? And right. then they were like, you need to go after them. You need to go do it. Like, There's only one thing that could kill tunes. Like one thing, right? Yeah. And uh, he pulls out this wooden box. It's like a box. And he opens it up. And it's a tune gun inside with all these different bullets that are like extremely Yosemite racist. Sa- Yosemite <laughs> Sam's fucking gun. It's yeah. like very like it's Yosemite Sam's gun, like one of his guns, and every single bullet has like its own character, and like he talks and have a, has a conversation like with the characters inside the the case, and it was just like for me as a kid watching that, it was just like first of all, cool, it's a cartoon gun. Second of all, it's fucking hilarious that all these little bullets have personas. And when they get shot out of the gun, it's not just like a bullet going into an enemy. It's like they have like a whole little ritual, whatever the fuck they do, going into is it, is attacking it, I, the person. So I thought that was fucking. Yeah. That was that was one of my favorite scenes as a kid watching that little just, bullet scene. I love that. I think, yeah, I no. This is definitely something that's just funny because it's characterization. It's just like Western caricatures, mm-hmm. and obviously, and and like. Western characters, you get like someone that's the Native American, and when he shot the Native American bullet into the sky, it didn't go through. He just got an axe and he just he out of nowhere and just like, <laughs> and through the hatchet. <laughs> you just threw the bottle. Fucking awesome! 
fucking awesome. You know, like, just like some yeah. people may say like, oh, that's badly, you know, included. Shit, Whatever, yeah. dude. Like, yeah, you know, it's history in that in that sense of uh, not it's just history joke. of like Native Americans, but history of like cartoons, man. You know, like that's what they're meant to do. It's like, you know, they. A, a cartoon is like a comedian of sorts, you know. When you look at yeah. back at an old cartoon, it's kind of a satire of whatever. You're getting the context of that time. Time, you know. Yeah, it's the context of that time, definitely, and I think that's what makes it funny. It's like the racism of that time is the joke. Terrible to say that, fucking Sergio. But no, I mean, it is. Like, but if you know what? It, what I gotta say though, like. In this movie, in Roger Rabbit, they really did steer away from a lot of the shit that would be considered, you know, uh, I guess. Back in that day, it was just like they just completely avoided it. But I feel like, you know, obviously during the 1940s, there was real segregation. So which brings me back to like, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of mimicking or... um making a satire of this stupid ideal. You know what I'm saying? It, it's making oh, it, it totally bogus. And I love that. I fucking think it's awesome because they're doing it in a fun way. They're doing it in a way that is uh, looking back at the past, but also looking forward to the future. And I mean, I, I could keep going on about this, but yeah. Yeah, the context of the past is the joke. Just saying. Yeah. Racism is a joke. But no, yeah, you're definitely right on that. And it's uh Yeah, that was actually a good scene, if anything. Um, just speaking on that too. I think it was a turning um uh, during that scene, it was a turning point for Eddie. Which I would say it's a good scene too, because like not only does he like um prepare himself to go into two town, but he's also willing to like give up alcohol. Oh yeah. And I think it was just like a good I think it's like a good message, um, especially like speaking to like the younger people. It's just like, yeah, people use this to go through a dark turn, but you know, when you, you want to face your fears, counterproductive. You got to kick it. Yeah, if it's like, yeah, exactly. If it's something that you need to face, don't face it like how you always face things. Um, when you know things turn to a sour, it's just like well. You got to face it head on. Without this, let's just fucking do it. And I think just spearheading into like going into the unknown, which again, that's a joke too, because they make it so mysterious that as soon as he goes into Toontown, oh, it's not as scary as it is because he made it scary as it is. And he even quit alcohol. He's like, I'm going to get my shit together. And as soon as he's walked in, nothing but rainbows and sunshine. And it's like, what are you afraid of? It's just like, but I think it's just like, oh, in deeper context, it's like, oh, he's facing his past. He's facing the prejudice that he was always against. Yeah. He's coming back into he's like, what walking he, onto their territory. Going into that. Exactly. He's going in there alone without Roger. Like we said before, like, oh, Roger was his way, gateway to it. And without Roger, you know, he's going ahead of it alone. That could be scary. But, he went on and it just like became a big joke and he was fine about it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it was a little scary thinking like, oh, he actually was being harassed by like a, like a freaking, um, 
ugly lady and then oh, he fell oh, yeah. like <laughs> and then he fell like 50 that or over a hundred feet down and stuff and then he met bugs bunny and uh mickey mouse oh i got the clip kind of dangerous ain't it yeah, yeah uh, you can get and killed he's huh? falling. got a spare uh bugs does yeah yeah but i don't think you want it i do i do give it to me gee uh, uh, better let him have it bugs okay doc whatever you say here's the spare thank you Am I wrong? You're not wrong. That's why I said this movie can never be made again. Because everyone's so tight about like their properties that they're just like, oh, you got to license that or whatever. Actually, they made a joke in this movie where I think after he met Dumbo was outside the dim- uh, window and he said like, oh, I just bought him off of Disney. <laughs> and then you look, you look at it now Licensing and it's like joke, it's a bro. fucking conglomerate now it's like uh, monopoly yeah. status it was such a licensing joke cause you could borrow like those properties for a certain price but now everyone's like nah dude I'm just saying like <laughs> they're on the nose about it they were fucking you know Jesus, no. up in everybody's face th- with it and they didn't give a fuck which I commend them for that's dope you know they were like we're doing this for the sake of art and you're lucky it's the 1980s and shit is fucking awesome right now like as far as <laughs> the market so we're gonna go ahead and give I you don't the think money the market that you is that great. Fucking, like, <laughs> let's just do this movie and to this day the only interaction you can see between mickey mouse and bugs bunny is in who framed roger rabbit Mm-hmm. That's a real shit. Uh, any more honorable mention scenes? Uh, Aside from the uh, the lounge, the piano bar scene. Talk a little bit more um, in depth in that. I really, uh, just little things. I really like. Um, hey, nice monkey suit. Wise ass. Wise ass. Uh, he does call yeah. him wise ass. Yeah. Uh, the, I did uh, a web share right now, and I actually have a not gonna behind shake. the scenes picture of the stand-in that they had for Jessica Rabbit and Hoskins looking up at her and the whole club looking at her in black and white. So if you check out our YouTube video, you can you can see that. Pretty fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, go ahead. It's, uh, um, a knock, what is it? A knock and a shave? Or no, wait, a shave and a... Uh, shave and a haircut. A shave and a haircut. That's that's no a, cartoon could resist to that. It's that a, was actually pretty funny. It's, it's like the, uh, shave and a haircut. <laughs> exactly, and that interaction was pretty funny. Uh what else? Uh, the the scene where Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit are being held up by the hook, and yeah. then the weasels going at them with the dip. He's like turning towards them inside of like this big mechanical like arm truck arm or whatever and he's yeah. like fucking spraying the dip. The hose, yeah. And it's a scene that was replicated in the in the ride, you know? Yeah, that's right. I fucking also love for that the, shit. 
also from the ride uh there's also the levers and the buttons and it says this one's stupid <laughs> when they ask which lever do you press this one's stupid <laughs> shit like that that just brings brings you to uh you know like this is fucking it's a cartoon but it's not you know what i'm saying that's just the awesome part about this movie and when you see his hand go in i mean this is before after effects people they had to uh rotoscope the whole hand and when i mean when i say rotoscope that means they basically shot uh with a camera the hand coming in to the dashboard of the taxi and there was probably a blue screen behind it i'm just guessing uh and they basically were able to cut out just the hand and impose that over the dashboard that was drawn of cartoon and him yeah. pulling it and making that there's, shit happen. Yeah, Fucking there's definitely awesome. a lot of yeah, there's definitely a lot of rotoscoping. Um especially with like the Jessica scene at the club. Um, Doctor Doom having to come up with like a fucking um saw and then pretty much like getting close to Eddie. At that point, it's With just axes like, oh. and saws and all kinds of crazy yeah. shit in his eyes and then the daggers. And then the mallet too itself. And then hit having to hit like the truck up full of like dip. And then <laughs> breaking the wall open. Yeah. And they find and out the just... deed. He wrote the deed to all the beings of Toontown. That's they another thing, care. the deed too, because like um they do set up the disappearing appearing ink. Cause he said, Oh, That's what do you right. worry about? Like it disappears, and then later you know, oh, it's also an appearing, reappearing ink as well, reappearing ink, and then he's all like, oh, why don't you read that, um, uh, will, uh, Roger, and it was like a love letter that he wrote over the will, and then the will appears, and he's just like, oh, another good oh, setup right yeah. there. I mean, yeah, and that's the whole <laughs> thing about the 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 writing of this movie was like it incorporated ludicrous shit that also twisted the fate of the of the story disappearing reappearing yeah. who thinks of that shit you know what i'm saying like there's already like but you know because of his character he probably would do something like that you know acme's character would probably do something like that like disappearing reappearing ink you know yeah so I mean, it wasn't just it, was, it wasn't just a joke, but it was a strategy. He it used. was a strategy within the script yeah. to to use like someone must Not have the script, thought but of no. disappearing, <laughs> reappearing ink, and they were like, "Fuck!" Like we could actually use that to close out everything. And it, like, dude, just from beginning to end, it's like you were you were in the detective shoes, and then at one point you start understanding more of the capabilities of Toon Life. And they're like, oh shit, he's actually in trouble. Like, he's in danger. Because he's a human inside of a Toon's world. So this is right. actually a really dangerous job for him. You know? It's not like having a Toon detective or Inspector Gadget on the case. This is fucking a human being inside of a Toon world. You know? And, and that's where the danger gets brought in, I feel like. But, yeah, and he could get killed, if anything. Uh, um, Speaking okay. of kill, I feel I feel I... like we're done with our honorable mentions. One more thing I gotta mention. We are. One more we thing. We are. Okay. The, the Tweety Bird scene where he's hanging off the flagpole and he goes, "One pinky went to the market, this one went home," and he's like pulling the 
fingers off of the flagpole when he's hanging on. Yeah, I feel... I always notice this, but Tweety looks different in that animation. Like, he looks sleepy. Like, it's like a different iteration of Tweety. I don't know if they had legal actions of that. Why they made him change it like that, but I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. If we look deep enough, it will make sense. That was a cool scene, too, because you see him interact directly with his fingers and stuff like that. It's pretty dumb. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's cool. I kind of want to talk now uh, a little bit about the ride. Because, like, obviously, this was so cool that it ended up by Disney. <laughs> creating a ride at Disneyland and Toontown, I feel, was, like, the fucking ultimate thing for this. Yeah, Toontown was, like, the ultimate uh, land section for Disney. It's like, we own this property. Might as well just do it. They got... Mm, they don't have, like, the... Disney characters are in it, and obviously they don't have the Looney Tune characters, but it's just all Roger Rabbit and those characters within that world. Because you don't really see Mickey Mouse in that ride. I mean, do you? I don't think so. You don't. Uh, it's mostly the characters from the movie. Yeah. But uh, it's crazy because this um, it opened. Keep going. It opened, hold on, I'm trying to see exactly when it opened. Opened April 15th, 1996. So, uh, this ride opened in 1996, approximately uh, 1988, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. Sorry, I had to do that math out loud. Approximately eight years for this shit to, to pop off. Um, very animated oriented ride, very close to kind of like a, I want to say Alice in Wonderland and, uh, really just taking the best parts of the movie and making it into a fucking full ride. Um, I love this ride as a kid. It was super fucking cool. My brother would always try to spin it as much as he possibly could so we can get dizzy and throw up afterwards. But we found out later there was actually a lock to make sure that he didn't spin fast enough. Uh, There was a lot of stuff going on with this ride um, later on when it's kind of shitty to to bring up. Kind of a downer, but uh, very, I mean, as far as rides go um a turning point into what safety meant there was a kid on the toontown ride that uh roger rabbit's um cartoon spin ride that basically uh he fell off the ride at one point and uh ended up getting caught underneath the actual ride and um that's why ever since then they added this rubber um strip underneath the tires and the wheels and everything to kind of just prevent that from happening ever again but it it was a dark part of disney history and it did happen on uh roger rabbit's cartoon spin i think the the most interesting part about this ride was that if you wanted to you really could just like turn your car in the direction of where the action's going 
Yeah. But the whole fun part about it is like you're spinning the whole fucking time. So you want to go as fast as you possibly can, you know, while you're on the ride, you know, and just like <laughs> enjoy everything that's around you. They took a very um, good approach on making almost everything in that ride black light um, responsive, mm-hmm. which was very fucking sick because basically now they could put. Um, Lose a lot of the scenes in the back, but make prominent all the colors in the forefront of the action and stuff like that. Man, if you have not been on uh, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, you're missing out. That is one of the best rides ever. And it's actually, I think it might be closed. It's it's closed right now? I think it might be closed. From what I gather, people, um, not only did... Roger Rabbit revolutionized animation and live-action hybrids, but also revolutionized safety in theme parks. Yeah, so... uh, Amazing. uh, (laughs) Toontown will close Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin March 9th. So it is Uh, officially closed, and that was written in 2022. Wait, permanently? I gotta say, man... Hey, you opened, know what I used to they think? They opened the way for. I think that's where they ended up doing the runaway train. So All right. it opened uh, new doors. You know what? You know what I used to think as a kid. You know how, like, at the top of the um, of the uh, ride of the building of the ride. You know how, like, the um, basically Benny just like comes out mm-hmm. on top and it just spins. I thought that was part of the ride. Like at one point. Your taxi wasn't gonna come out, and it was gonna come out at the top of that right <laughs> building, and then just like come out. <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah, well, I was a stupid kid, and then when I actually wrote it, I was like, "Oh, wait, that doesn't happen." <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't happen at all. I think it's because I told you what happened. No, you told yeah. me something else, but I, it wasn't that. I was right. just a dick to you when we were little. I was just like, and you know this, and you know this, and I was just like making all these fucking crazy lies. But all you know the what? Rides, right, that was, I was like, did you know what? Of the Caribbean drop is like fucking five stories. No, you told, you told, uh, you told my sister that, but you know what? You told me which ride like was like kind of no. Scary, you know what I told your never sister was, I told her that there was re- like uh, skeletons that come real skeletons. Come <laughs> you told me that she said there was real skeletons that were yeah. in the ride, which, which she I think that was because I think, technically back I in think the day that was there an urban was myth. actual yeah that was an urban myth. myth and stuff so I, I kind of no there no back in that. the day in the seventies during grad night they would have skeletons dressed up as pirates and scaring you in the oh, corners God. that actually yeah. happened my uncle Mike told me that <laughs> he went on the ride when that happened I see the cycle now I see the cycle now yeah <laughs> trauma the trauma um, cycle talking about trauma hop on board. Um, let me just say real quick, the difference between this and the book is that almost everything is just like follows up to the thing. Um, there's no doom. There's no Benny. Um, the villains were like main producers and conglomerates and whatnot. And in this world, um, cartoons have the cap. It basically live action and humans were, uh, coincide, obviously from the book but cartoons had the ability to be doppelgangers and it turns out that they actually did kill the real roger rabbit 
and the doppelganger is actually solving his own case. It's fucking weird. Because you literally, because um, in the book it describes that Roger Rabbit actually died and he's hanging over his, like, um, uh, his balcony and he's bent over and there's like, he got shot like four times or some shit. What the fuck? Yeah. So it's like and, actually like really fucking dark. Yeah. Dude, they and need to remake this shit and make it just dark to, and, and just, it's yeah. going to sell like even more. And no, just like a reals. rabbit. Yeah, and Jessica Rabbit is not faithful to her, her his, yeah, to her husband, to and Roger. she actually, she actually did cheat it, and she talks shit about him, and towards the end of the novel, um, obviously they're trying to figure out who framed who, and it turns out that they were actually framing Eddie, and the real Roger Rabbit wanted to frame Eddie, so he basically put all these implants into um, Eddie's apartment. And then I guess he got killed over it. And the doppelganger is the only person that knew about all this shit. But how, who killed Roger Rabbit though? Like he got shot in the back. So I think it was, him. I think it was a doppelganger that killed him because he instructed him to kill him. So in a uh, way it was so a it was suicide. Like he committed suicide almost. <laughs> yeah. That's dark, I think, bro. I think. That's I think. really fucking dark. We need to get yeah. more into this. Obviously, this is a great fucking episode because we went way more in depth than we I thought we were going more. to. Like, I I had, we had this in the calendar for like months, and I was just like, well, "What am I gonna do with this?" But dude, like, he we did, pulled the rabbit out of the hat, baby. That's what we do here. You, you know, with I mean, pants down. a lot of my just childhood experience watching this fucking movie—it's like ingrained in my head of these crazy ass scenes, you know. So. Watch I commend I commend all of you that know Roger Rabbit. Those of you that don't, please, please take a look at this movie. It is an iconic piece to pop culture history, and it will continue to live on. Is that I believe. Final words, Serge. My final words is: This is a very revolutionized movie, very iconic for its time. And I mean, everything that was there before it, they did it 10 times more and they put more of the effort and they put more of things that, you know, they didn't have to, but they went that hard on it. And this is definitely a movie that you could learn. And just based on what they were doing, they kind of took that consciousness over to the movie and made a meta commentary on that. Everything from um, conglomerates to animation. To basically everything that's, that has to do with Hollywood, yeah. it's just not just like an animated movie. Context. It's a movie about the context of the revolutions, the technical advance of what cinema was able to push through, and they were able to make something fun out of it. You know, thanks to Robert Zemeckis, but also thanks to Steven Spielberg, who actually was. ILM, man the main guy behind it and you know ILM and Disney and you see the movie pieces together now we get to see like oh where are they now they're exactly what they needed to be yeah we know ILM Lucasfilms Disney they were always in bed with each other yeah so they were always to make great things and then they continue and this was kind of the one I mean obviously you have Star Wars but this was the one that 
was specifically Touchstone too, tying all these things together and making it what it was and just dude the ro to the robots that was breaking dish on, on its head to uh people losing their minds over this movie man it's it's just an iconic mm -hmm. film to even regard that it, it almost seems like it didn't even happen like exactly. there's just so much involved with it that you wouldn't even believe it if you heard it for the first time you know so i gotta give it up to everybody cheers to the craft last check-in on the beer finish my uh trader joe's 2022 vintage spice ale ended off with a very barley note very whiny note um lots of uh little fragments at the bottom but it wasn't anything noticeable i could taste with my tongue it was more of just flavor the flavor you know the flavor. what'd you end off with uh with the blonde ale uh, i already finished my blonde ale like um 40 minutes ago Figured that but they Basically, this was just, just like it, it was consistent throughout the whole time. Uh, honestly, it was a very easy sip. Um, I'm on to this one now, which is completely different. I'm almost what's, finished with this one. What's that one? <laughs> Mike's Heart? This one's no, this is Hops, Hops of Wrath. Cool. So, I'm not gonna include it in this episode. I'm pretty sure we have a way more fitting uh episode for the, that beer, but yeah, um. That beer was pretty good. I love the blonde ale. It was really good, if anything. Well, shit, um, man. To our listeners, yeah. thank you for listening. Last this thing. has been... <laughs> Here we go. Just last thing. Just last thing. So, it was going to come back, torture and animation. So, I just found this out. If you go to YouTube, there's this uh, channel called Bionic Pig. Bionic Pig. And he just released a video where... Uh, it's titled The Internet's Most Horrific Animator Turned Killer. And it's actually a fucking serial killer in the making. Because there's a guy that has like animation stop motion content. But it's really disturbing. And he's actually already committed like disturbing um, crimes. Who wants to hear and about this? It's, we already got enough crazy shit going on, man. We don't bro, need an animated killer. <laughs> so... Nuts. His animation is actually really crazy. I haven't seen it. Is this it. your sip on this? Yeah, basically. Okay. And his name is Leighton Leboot. Just for those and of you that might be unfamiliar with our sip on this, sip on this segment is something new in culture, whether it be movies, TV, uh, video games. All our pillars. Beer. Yeah. Those are our pillars. Technology, uh, kind of new fucking information that I wish I didn't know now. But uh, uh, I guess my sip on this would be that I went to go see Guardians, the the newest one, Volume Three. To, I'll see and that. I gotta say, man, a lot of the critic response to this movie has been. I think some people, a lot of critics, actually said it was kind of shitty. I think, but after watching the movie, it was it was actually very good man it was hard it was actually one of the better ones it was yeah. one of i mean i think the guardian series <laughs> out of all of the movies now kind of takes the cake for for the best uh synchronous story that's also involved with avengers and i'm talking and i fucking love iron man don't get me wrong i love iron man i love spider-man i love all the other movies but 
this particular movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, from part volume one to three, is just and and obviously it mixes in with Infinity Wars and stuff like that. But yeah, dude, I just gotta say, like, you see this last movie and you're just like, fuck, like it really was about Rocket the whole time. You know, it's fitting. Yeah, it's very fitting. It's fucking awesome. So I definitely encourage our <laughs> listeners out there, check that movie out, man. That shit is fucking amazing. I know uh, MCU movies have been shit, but this one, I yeah, think, you most yeah. likely won't get your hands on this Trader Joe's 2022 vintage spice ale, but if you do, Jesus, it's it's one for the books for sure. And uh, love peace and chicken grease. You can find us on IG. Hit the button. <laughs> Welcome to Golden Find us on IG Golden Craftcast on TikTok now, Golden Craftcast, YouTube, we're on there as well. Uh, fucking just get in the mix, man. Get weird with it. And we're uh, planning to do a lot more collaborations in the summer, so look forward to that. This has been episode 113. 113. So I've been doing a game through through Zelda. And definitely check those out. We're expanding. Definitely expanding. All right. Love, peace, peace and out, people. Grease. Yep. Please.